This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. What's going on, everyone? This is Aaron Harris, and you are tuning into the Football Odyssey. Today is a short episode, and it is a audio version of a new YouTube documentary that I produced about the history of the line of scrimmage. It is a short 10 minute video and I've posted the link in the description to the actual video on YouTube. So if you enjoy the audio portion, feel free to check out the video because I think the visuals complement it nicely. Um, I also, uh, as far as updates go, will be putting together YouTube playlists. As many of you have heard me say since listening to the podcast that I spent a lot of time watching games on YouTube. So I thought that for anyone else who is interested and whether you're listening, watching, I should say, while you work or whether you sit down and watch these full games on a nightly or weekly basis, I thought I'd put some curated games together. So once I get those up, I will definitely promote those and let me know what you think. And feel free to subscribe and share to the YouTube channel because we have more content coming down the pipe. That said, here is the audio version of the line of scrimmage. Hope everyone's summer is off to a good start, and I'll see you soon. Football is a universal term that carries many different meanings across the globe. To most countries, football refers to the kicking game of association football, or it could refer to rugby football a carrying game that features backwards and lateral passes and scrummages that determine possession of the ball. The Australians, in fact, have produced their own brand of football centered on the art of the punt kick and on batting the ball with the fist. And in North America, the United States and Canada played two similar yet distinct forms of gridiron football that includes forward passing, rushing, place kicking, punting, and tackling. Though gridiron football does share some elements of its game with other codes of football, it does look distinctly different in its gameplay, since it doesn't have the constant free-flowing style of play seen in the other football codes. Oftentimes, people who aren't accustomed to watching American or Canadian football will comment on the slow pace of the game, asking why the teams stop and huddle after each play, or may even ask what a play is. The answers to these questions can be traced back to a single rule that brought about the tactically complex nature of gridiron football that uses formations, blocking schemes, and choreographed motions to advance the ball downfield. That is, the line of scrimmage. While the forward pass, legalized blocking, and unlimited substitutions have all been crucial in developing gridiron football's identity, The game would not be possible without the line of scrimmage in which one team has uncontested possession of the ball, leading to a myriad of formations and plays on offense and defense. But as with all innovations, the inspiration behind the line of scrimmage came through trial and error and progressively evolved from the most distinct elements in any code of football, the scrum. Though the scrum is most identified with rugby union, Many football codes prior to Rugby Union incorporated some type of a scrum into their game. The Eaton Wall game, for example, has been played since the late 1700s and is played on a narrow strip of land that is about 5 yards wide from a brick wall and runs 120 yards long. The game features 11 players that form what is called a bully, 
which is essentially a rugby-style scrummage against the wall to contest possession of the ball. Once the team secured possession, his teammates would either congregate around him to push him forward or kick the ball on the ground downfield. Flash forward to the early 1800s, when the game of rugby was continuously being developed and codified, the scrum became a fixture in the sport and was the primary method of advancing the ball. Though rugby today is a game of systematic lateral and backwards passes that stretches across the vast field of play, the early days of rugby, played with 20 men per side, was a very compact game, with 15 men scrums that would last up to 10 minutes. Once the ball was put into the scrum, the forwards, or the men in the scrum, would try and push their opponents back to their own goal line and either dribble the ball while in the scrum or kick the ball through their opponent's legs, to which the backs would then race downfield to dribble the ball towards the goal or tackle the opponent who obtained possession of the ball, igniting another scrum. But after the rules were reformed that reduced the number of men per side, the game became more wide open and foreshadowed the events that would come across the pond for America. In the 1800s, football in America was a general term that described a multitude of intramural games played across Northeastern universities, nearly all of which were kicking-based games that also incorporated violent play. In the early 1870s, the Ivy League schools assembled to draft a set of rules for football that all colleges would abide by in competition. The rules were agreed upon and they were centered around the kicking game and running with the ball was prohibited. Harvard chose not to abide by these rules, instead deciding to revive a local game played by many students back in their high school days known as the Boston Game. Created by Garrett Smith Miller and the Oneida Football Club, the game featured elements from both rugby and soccer with a minimum of 10, but no more than 15 men per side who were permitted to kick and catch the ball. Furthermore, a player had the right to pick it up, run with, or throw the ball if he was being pursued by an opponent, and by doing so, made him eligible to be tackled. Due to their deviation from the rules of football played by other Ivy Leagues, Harvard did not participate in intercollegiate matches with their contemporaries. Rather, in 1874, they would agree to an international contest with the young men of McGill University from Montreal, Quebec, in Canada. McGill, playing a variation of rugby union football, wanted to put their code of football on the map in the United States, and extended a courteous invitation to Harvard for a two-game series at Harvard's Jarvis Field. The first would be played under the rules of the Boston game, and the second would be played under rugby union rules. Harvard went on to dismantle McGill in the Boston game, forcing the match to end early. The following day, however, would not be so swift for Harvard. Now playing under rugby rules, the Harvard team was thrown into a state of confusion when McGill formed a scrum, forcing the Crimson to try and imitate their opponents on the fly. Harvard had trouble adapting to the scrum initially, but began to pick up the concept as the game went on and proved to be a worthwhile adversary forced the contest to a scoreless tie. This contest left an impression on Harvard, who decided to abandon the Boston game and fully aligned itself with rugby football. In the fall of 1874, Harvard traveled to Montreal to play McGill again and defeated their opponent 3-0. The fourth contest was held in Montreal in 1875, only this time, McGill recruited players from other Canadian universities to form an all-Canada team to compete against the Crimson. 
Harvard, however, came with a new wrinkle to the scrum formation. They put no men in the scrum, forcing the all-Canada team to kick the ball toward Harvard uncontested, since healing the ball backward out of the scrum was not practiced in rugby at the time. Harvard again won the match 1-0. In May of 1876, Harvard would host the all-Canada team in Cambridge and would again set the stage for a new style of play on their way to a victory. Harvard placed only two men in the scrum in this match, while the remainder of the team lined up laterally to the scrum line or formed a second line. But rather than kick the ball forward, the Harvard men healed the ball back towards their teammates, who then picked it up and passed it to the man beside or behind him just as he was about to be tackled. Canadian football historian Ian Spears said of this, quote, This open formation was no minor tinkering with the game of rugby, but rather something that heralded the emergence of a distinct game. Harvard's experimentations were taking on a form of their own, and this newfound rugby football variation was quickly gaining ground amongst other Ivy League schools. In 1876, representatives from Columbia, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton met to form the Intercollegiate Football Association and adopted, with slight modifications, the British Rugby Union Code of Rules. Yale, adamant on having 11 men per side, declined to join the association, but was allowed to play members of the IFA if rule agreements could be made. In 1878, Walter Camp, the man who would become known as the father of American football, became captain of the Yale team and decided to adopt the rugby union 15 men per side rule to maintain their rivalry with Harvard and Princeton. Yale would join the IFA by 1879, and by the 1880 IFA convention, Camp advocated for a variety of rules, including reducing the number of players per side to 11 and replacing the scrummage with a scrimmage, thereby eliminating the gamble of who would win possession from the scrum and introduce the use of prearranged strategy. A scrimmage takes place when the holder of the ball, being in the field of play, puts it down on the ground in front of him and puts it in play while onside, first by kicking the ball, second by snapping it back with his foot. The man who first receives the ball from the snapback shall be called the quarterback and shall not then rush forward with the ball under the penalty of foul. The association agreed to adopt these two rules, creating a sport that would take on a life of its own. This rule change proved to be vital in shaping gridiron football, and though it didn't come until 1880, Harvard's experimentations with the scrum and the heelback technique against their Canadian opposition sparked a new concept that led to a distinct game from its predecessors. As football historian Park H. Davis states, it is true that in defining the scrimmage, the convention did not invent it, but merely extended to it the recognition of the rules. The play itself had been evolving gradually through the genius of the collegians in actual play. And thanks to the ingenuity of the Harvard squad in their matches against McGill, the foundations for the new gridiron game were now set.